I'm Mike Duran. I am the director of the Center for Peace and Security in the Middle East and a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute. And I'm joined today by my fellow uh, senior fellows at the Hudson Institute, John Kasapalu and Jonathan Schachter. And we're here to talk to you about the very grim events in uh, Israel yesterday. Uh, as oh, I, We are recording this on, uh, on Sunday afternoon. And uh, of course, you're all aware that yesterday, um, hundreds of uh, Hamas terrorists broke through two fences uh, and invaded Israel. Uh, they have killed um, hundreds of people. I think the number at the time of this uh, airing is up over 600. Uh, they have uh, wounded over 1,000. Uh, they, they met with very little uh, military opposition under the cover of a barrage of, uh, of rocket fire. They, they came across uh, into Israel by foot, by, by um, motorcycle, by vehicle, and by paraglider. Um, they took over uh, settlements, and they took over towns, and they took over military uh, installations. Uh, they remained there uh, for many, many hours. In fact, at the time of the airing today on Sunday, uh, I think that there are still some uh, there are still some uh, 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 terrorist uh, groups that are still operating on Israeli on Israeli soil. Uh, families were held hostage in their homes for uh, for many hours. Uh, a rave, uh, a, a nature rave, an all-night uh, dance party um, near Gaza was attacked. Uh, people were slaughtered. Uh, uh, girls were raped next to the friends uh, who had just been uh, slaughtered. Actually, absolutely horrific images, many of which have been the Israeli public has not uh, uh, has been shielded from. Uh, this is the worst day uh, in the history of the uh, of the IDF probably ever. Uh, but certainly since uh, the, the second and third day of the Yom Kippur War um, in, um, uh, in 1973. Uh, here to help me understand this, as I said, are my two colleagues. And let's start with you, John. Can you please just give us your best uh, uh, military intelligence assessment? How did Israel, which has a vaunted high-tech um, uh, military, one of the best uh, intelligence services in the world, how did it get caught by surprise like this? Thanks, Mike. Uh, let's start with an overview of the red team assessment here. The, the bottom line is we are facing, what we are facing is a very sophisticated operational planning uh, by Hamas, uh, which suggests that operational planning was involved more than Hamas, given the, given the complexity of operations. It all started with taking out observation towers uh, surrounding uh, the Gaza Strip and the, control, and the control areas and the control points. Uh, the interesting thing is Hamas took out all these observation uh, towers by drone warfare assets, uh, and they had a full information superiority at the time uh, when they blacked out all these information towers over the, over the IDF. Then uh, the operation started in a way that you wouldn't easily, or the Israeli military intelligence wouldn't easily make a diagnosis of that because it incorporated a, a very large, massive rocket barrage uh, and paragliders going deep inside the Israeli territory. So if you were in the zero hour or what happened, uh, and if you were in the shoes of an Israeli military intelligence officer, probably you wouldn't develop a quick and thorough understanding as to how to categorize. Is it a rocket attack? Is it a drone attack? Uh, or is it some uh, some commando raid uh, by uh, elite uh, Hamas militancy with paragliders? Uh, but it was orchestrated. The thing is, all these things, all the overture of the conflict, if you like, uh, was done to hide uh, the follow-on attack. And the follow-on attack was up to 1,000 uh, uh, Hamas uh, personnel uh, raiding a terrorist plot. Uh, by open source intelligence since yesterday, I'm trying to collect all the bits and pieces of open source intelligence evidence. And what we counted up until now is six jump off points in military terms, which means the staging grounds, the initial staging grounds of an offensive. At these six uh, jump off points, think it like a leftwards looking crescent. Sorry, uh, sorry, John, to interrupt you. When you say jump, jump off points, you I mean, jump off, uh, jump off points from within Gaza going out, or or within it, it, or within Israel. The jump off coin, uh, points at ground zero that you are out of Gaza inside Israel, uh, but like 
a few meters behind this is Gaza. So, so six know, so six six breaches in the fence. At least, at yeah. least. And they are all coordinated, by the way. Mm. So it is like a 15 kilometers long leftwards looking crescent uh, with Erez uh, checkpoint in the north and the Nahal Oz military base in the south. I suggest like all our audience right now take a very quick uh, glance at the map to understand the situation. And we saw that the, the Hamas teams uh, penetrated very fast in a very blitz fashion deep inside the Israeli territory. One thing to understand here is that as to the ground operations phase of the terrorist plot, we saw two, two overlapping operations run by two categorically different teams. One was about holding territory, contemporarily occupying Israel's southern territory, holding the ground, and forcing the IDF and the Israeli security forces into a really bloody, really troublesome urban warfare uh, situation. Uh, but when this was happening and all the paragliders were, uh, were uh, raving deep and the rocket barrage was uh, continuing, there was a second effort uh, by Hamas, uh, very deliberate. And, and I would say in a notorious fashion, like, the, the professionalism was very, uh, very high, again, in a notorious fashion, that they conducted systematic kidnapping activity. I mean, like, there were some death squads who went in to massacre Israeli population, but there were some other squads who deliberately and systematically kidnapped uh, Israeli citizens, and they established, like, a shuttle all the way back and forth between the Israeli territory and the Gaza Strip, uh, 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 taking hostage uh, innocent civilians uh, and the, the party that you, the event that you mentioned, and bringing them uh, all the way back to uh, back to Gaza. Uh, so this is the operation uh, in a nutshell. Uh, we saw at the, this is the strategic level, boiling down it, uh, to the tactical level. We saw some really interesting things again, uh, suggesting uh, Iranian revolutionary guards involvement. For instance, uh, quadcopter drones. Uh, carrying tandem charge RPGs uh, for, for penetrating the armor. And they were attacking uh, the Israeli Merkel for tanks and heavy, heavy armored platforms, other heavy armored platforms, uh, with a, by following a perpendicular angle uh, to catch the tank off guard uh, at a place that it is most vulnerable. So this tactical approach to the conflict, like equipping quadcopter drones with tandem charge warhead carrying RPGs and knowing exactly how to attack a, a state-of-the-art Israeli main battle tank, this goes not only in the uh, strategic planning phase, but also in the tactical execution uh, phase of the attack. This goes well beyond the capabilities of a simple paramilitary organization in the Middle East. So uh, let me just repeat back to you what, what I heard in, in, in a summary form. Uh, I heard you say uh, that they, first of all, blinded the Israelis with the sort of, uh, I guess it would be, I don't exactly understand how the Israeli early warning system is set up, but they have a number of posts with the, with sensors on them, and they, they, they destroyed those to blind the, the, the first line of electronic defense. And then they combined together a number of different kinds of, um, uh, um, uh, of, um, um, ways of breaching mechanisms for breaching the 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 fence, the paragliders, uh, the 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 people on the foot, people on vehicle, and so on, and combined with a rocket barrage, which confused the confused the the um, the the analysts on the other side, whoever the the soldiers are behind the the computer screens, and they're looking at all the different images they have. They don't know how to decide. They don't know how to understand exactly what they're dealing with in this first instance, and exactly. that gave the that gave the the Israelis, the uh, the, the, um, the Hamas, the element of surprise, um, and then you're saying that the there were these teams that are specialized, specialized in murder, specialized in in, in kidnapping, and they had these these tasks were set up uh, where these are these are tasks that they trained for ahead of time, and they were and this was integrated in a systematic fashion, and they're telling me that they have weaponry and tactics that they clearly got from the the Iranians. So the whole thing together says. This is a very sophisticated strategic brain behind this. There's an understanding of the Israeli, 
there's a there's a penetration of the Israeli systems. Um, there's techniques for overcoming them. We've never seen anything like this by, by, by Hamas before. And your analysis, I'm putting words in your mouth, but I think this is where you led, is that there has to be a state actor behind this. This isn't uh, this wasn't just some clever guy in Hamas who came up with this. There is someone there's a state actor, most likely Iran, that is helping coordinate all this and, and develop the tactics. Is that is that what you're saying? That's in a nutshell what I'm saying with two additions. That state actor, that very state actor you are highlighting, highlighting here, should be expert in drone, rocket, and missile operations, should be expert in unconventional warfare and proxy warfare at the same time, should have a clear edge in producing and employing loitering munitions, uh, because we have seen also kamikaze drones, loitering munitions, should have a high stake an interest in kidnapping and using the, the hostages as, as political leverage uh, very, uh, very craftily, uh, I would say. And that actor behind that should have deep-rooted uh, ties, not only to Hamas, but also uh, Islamic Jihad, because we are always uh, yeah. putting, putting the entire focus on Hamas. But uh, we should state that this was a joint Hamas-Palestinian Islamic Jihad operation. Of course, and everyone should know Hamas is a proxy of Iran, but but the Palestinian Islamic Jihad is Iran. If if Palestinian like Islamic Jihad organic organic jihad, extension, it's organic an extension of Iran. Yeah. If Palestinian Islamic Jihad is doing something, Iran is doing it. So all of the uh, all of the indicators point toward Iran, and of course we have today uh, uh, Hamas officials giving thanks to Iran. So uh, it's not like that's a great uh, uh, a great mystery. Okay, thank you, John. Jonathan, let, let's let's turn to you. Um, uh, John left out of his analysis uh, um, the Israeli side of things. I think nobody uh, in our organization understands Israel better than you. How did this happen from the Israeli point of view? Where were the? Where was it, even after the initial um, the the initial deception? Where was the Israeli military? I think that's the big question uh, that everyone is asking. And uh, from what I've seen, there's been discussion of failures on multiple levels. Obviously, there's uh, an intelligence failure because even if uh, even if those initial steps that John described succeeded in, in blinding or partially blinding or confusing uh, the Israelis, like as you said, Mike, who were sitting behind the screens, uh, there, there obviously isn't any sort of, of warning about this um, in advance, certainly not in a way that leads to um, taking preventive or preparatory action. Um, so again, none of us on this uh, on this uh, call knows, uh, you know, what Israel knew or didn't know. But it seems it seems pretty straightforward that that sort of early warning uh, was not there, which of course um, is is getting a lot of attention, a lot of discussion, because it does come fifty years almost to the day after the Yom Kippur War, and there. Um, uh, also, as you know, was was found afterwards by the Agronaut Commission. Uh, you know, one of the great failures was a failure to um, uh, to foresee and to prepare. Excuse me, in a in a timely way. Um, I think, uh, but I think the 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 failures then go beyond just intelligence. There's also then operational failures. So um, Israel has spent uh, billions of of dollars uh, over the last several years. Uh, strengthening its uh, its defenses against Gaza, its 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 walls, um, obviously its defenses underground, in the air, and again, I think those things have uh, have proven themselves many times, even even yesterday and even today, in terms of Iron Dome and things like that. But the wall and the uh, the fencing obviously did not um, withstand this uh, this onslaught, and so then. Uh, it, and then there's the other layers. There are layers of security at these uh, in these towns and kibbutzim and military facilities. So there are, are layers of of failures here that are going to need to be addressed, um, at both in the intelligence level and the operational level. But I think right now, um, you know, it, it's funny. Most of the discussion about Israel over the last uh, better part of of a year has been about the divisions in Israeli society. And I think right now you're seeing that being pushed aside, and um, this is the kind of situation, unprecedented though it may be, where Israelis come together and 
and, and in fact, with all of the comparisons to 1973, uh, the more apt comparison is 1948, because it, it actually isn't since 1948 that you have this kind of not just threat, but also uh, loss of life um, to Israeli civilians. And, um, and, and you know, just to put this into uh, into perspective, um, you have uh, the second intifada where um, a little over a thousand Israelis are killed by Hamas and Islamic Jihad and the other Palestinian factions. That takes place over the course of five years, and right. and and now you've got the numbers that are are creeping up. Um, you know, into the many hundreds now, and that's in a single day. So this right. is this is a a, a shocking uh, a shocking thing for Israel and for Israeli society. But what you're seeing right now is um, people coming together. The prime minister and um, uh, Lapid and Gantz have all offered or expressed a willingness to go into an emergency government together. Um, whether or not that happens remains to be seen, but I think it's um, it, it says something given the acrimony, but, you know, amongst the three of them, uh, I think that uh, that says a lot. Can you, uh, Jonathan, can you take us uh, through uh, some of the uh, some of the options that uh, that the Israelis have? They um, none of them look, as I look at it, particularly attractive because we've had uh, you know, we've had many rounds of violence with Gaza, um, and uh, uh, I think the Israelis believe that they had it contained. Clearly, they don't. Um, now they're probably going to have to go in on the ground, at least to some extent. But what's the goal of the operation going to be? How are they going to How are they going to achieve victory? How are they going to define victory? How are they going to achieve it? What's the cost going to be? Can you give us a, just a few thoughts about that? Sure, I think. Um, that's the big question right now. Today, I think they took what was largely, a, um, uh, you know, it's a an important declarative and legal step in terms of the government uh, formally uh, declaring war. Um, but I think the real question is exactly the one you just raised. What is the goal? How are they going to define victory? Now, the prime minister gave um, some indication of um uh, of sort of the, the magnitude of, of what he's talking about yesterday when he said, this is not an operation. He said, this isn't another round of fighting. He said, this is a war. And so then, the, you know, the, there are, I think, I, there are a few options that come to mind um, uh, just off the top of my head. You know, is is this a more limited thing? You're saying, okay, so they're going to try and strip Hamas and Islamic Jihad of their offensive capabilities or is it going to go further than that? Is it going to be to try and destroy these organizations and uh, destroy the leadership of these organizations and the organ, you know, and their and their structures? Um, or is this going to be, um, you know, a a a total re-entry of Israel into Gaza and you know taking over the administration of uh, of Gaza and the population there? Now, I don't know the answer to that question, but I think that even if we took those three as as um, you know, a reasonable uh, approximation of what the spectrum of choices might be. Um, each one of those would require uh, the entry of of forces into Gaza and doing something much more significant um, than has been done in the previous rounds since two thousand and nine. Um, that would also be uh, take more time and uh, and be more costly. And you know we tend to think of these rounds, these previous rounds, as having been short, and most of them were. But I'll point out that in you know in 2014, uh, that lasted uh, 50 days. That was you know that was they were into the eighth week when that ended. Um, so there could be very uh, long weeks uh, and months ahead. Complicating all of this, of course, is the or the hostages, and uh, I don't know, uh, Jonathan. Do you know how many hostages there there, there are approximately? I don't know uh, the approximate numbers. The only thing I saw just in the last couple of hours was Israel had said officially now said that it's over one hundred. Now, how you know how much more than that? I, I can't say. I don't know. Okay, okay. So this is uh, this is a, a completely um, uncharted territory. Over a hundred hostages. Uh, some significant number of which are Americans and foreigners. So we're going to have uh, we're going to have uh, uh, discussions about uh, by 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 the very nature of it um, that we're going to have um, involvement of uh, foreign governments 
advising Israel, um, uh, 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 giving Israel counsel as it goes along about its war aims, about its tactics, and so on. That would happen anyway, but there's going to be this added special um, uh, element of the um, of the welfare of uh, foreign nationals. Um, John, why don't you just give us a little bit of sense of the military um, the military challenges that Israel faces uh, in general, but especially with regard to this hostage question. So we should zoom out and then zoom in gradually. I think the main uh, intelligence mistake here would be uh, thinking such an operation within the very limited framework of an Israel-Hamas plus Islamic Jihad showdown. Uh, it can easily, uh, the, the, the planners of, of this plot against Israel uh, most probably anticipated a massive large-scale Israeli response that could potentially involve uh, a land incursion. Uh, given the sophistication of military planning behind the plot would, would, would uh, speak for itself. Uh, we shouldn't exclude any scenario that involves the Lebanese Hezbollah involvement, seeing an opportunity and capitalizing on an opportunity, because we know that geopolitics, since its foundation, the nightmare military scenario for the state of Israel has always been a multi-front war. And being cornered uh, in a multi-front war against the Lebanese Hezbollah and, and Hamas uh, would be even worse uh, than what I tried to uh, depict uh, up until now. So we have to keep an eye on the North and the, the Lebanese Hezbollah uh, movements and concentrations. Today, for instance, uh, a drone uh, dispatched by the Lebanese Hezbollah from southern Lebanon uh, entered the Israeli airspace and the Israeli Patriot batteries had to engage. Uh, well, this could well be, you know, testing the reaction uh, times and limits and patterns. So this is, I think, the, the first caveat to keep in mind. Second, the second problem is the again. Sorry to interrupt you again, John. But just uh, just to remind our viewers that we're taping this on uh, on the afternoon of the Sunday, the eighth. Uh, we we know that Nasrallah very recently threatened Israel uh, by a multi-front war, and and it is it is uh, it is not beyond imagination that Lebanese Hezbollah and Iran would see an historic opportunity to see that the Israeli ground forces are engaged in an open-ended uh, military endeavor in the Gaza Strip. Uh, the second problem, and even if the Netanyahu government manages to keep it between, the Leb uh, between, uh, between Hamas Islamic Jihad and the Israeli Defense Forces, the character of the operation will be a, a major obstacle, deciding on the character of the operation. If it's going to be a, a hostage rescue operation, if it's going to be a punitive operation, if it's going to be about like crippling, seriously crippling uh, Hamas uh, operational capabilities so that in the next 10, 15 years, Hamas and Islamic Jihad will not be able to carry out such magnitude of operations. Uh, all these categories, easier said than done, would necessitate different force generation, which means different pickup of the right units. Every single unit is suitable for a different and very distinctive military objective. And we call that force generation. All these kind of different operational options uh, come with uh, different force generation requirements, the type of units that you would need uh, to execute those missions, different weapon systems, uh, different calculus on collateral damage, different calculus as to minimizing casualties, and different ways of war fighting and different battle plans. So I think the main problem here, and again, like going beyond the tactical and operational military calculus, is the political decision and the political framework behind such a military operation to define that military operation, even before defining the theory of victory. What you are going into and what kind of operation is that? If if the Netanyahu government decides for doing, you know, and, and tries to pull a rabbit from the head and tries to miraculously conduct a punitive operation, a crippling operation on critical capabilities of Hamas and Islamic Jihad, and in the meantime, rescuing hostages, it means that it has to dispatch a special forces combat search and rescue mission uh, in tandem with a large scale multi-brigade level uh, land incursion to 
hold territory. This will be really important. And also a, a standoff uh, long range uh, strike deterrent mission uh, to pinpointly take out the, the critical infrastructure uh, which enables the Hamas and Islamic uh, Jihad military prowess. And while doing that, avoiding collateral damage uh, and also avoid any harm uh, to the, uh, to the uh, hostages. Uh, I think the, the, the very problem, and I'm going to wrap up and end here, I think the, the main dilemma here is action is needed and any kind of action is very risky and any kind of actions political framework is very murky. So, mm -hmm. so Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu right now is in a place that no other Prime Minister or President would like to be, unfortunately. Now, uh, uh, Jonathan, when John just said the, 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 uh, the political context is murky, um, uh, I'm not sure if he was referring to the domestic political context or the international context, but uh, why don't you, uh, why don't we tee off that statement and get your reaction? Uh, do, do you, in your assessment, uh, does he have the political backing at home, given all the fragmentation, uh, to see a very complex and difficult uh, operation through to the end? Uh, and what about the international uh, support? So first of all, I think political contexts are always murky, um, but I think um, you know we can we can divide that into into two. If we look domestically, I think right now there's there's broad support for uh, Israel doing uh, what needs to be done. This thing is still you know um, we're only in uh, the second day of this, and the stuff inside Israel is still going on. They're still um, searching for and fighting with. Um, uh, Hamas uh, terrorists inside Israel um, and still um, uh, trying to, to, to put numbers on uh, the hostages. And so this, my point is this is still something that's very much coming together and I think there's broad support uh, uh, for doing something about it. I think the decisions that are going to have to be made, as John correctly pointed out, are very hard decisions and I think that's a big part of uh, of why they're talking about having an emergency government so that there's as broad a political consensus as possible uh, within Israel. I think the much greater challenge is going to be international. Uh, right now, in the first 24 hours, um, the you know, political and diplomatic support that you've seen from the United States, um, from uh, the president and secretary of defense, uh, and, uh, and in Congress and also uh, in Europe has been uh, very encouraging uh, and very positive. Uh, the question is, is how long is that gonna last? And we've seen, again, you know, using previous rounds of fighting with, uh, with uh, the, the terrorist forces in Gaza, uh, as an example, we've seen that there's often initial support for Israel's right to defend itself and everybody says the right things and then uh, as as the costs of these rounds uh, begin to accumulate and to be broadcast, uh, the, um, the the international community tends to lose its stomach for it, and then uh, start applying pressure on Israel to to wrap things up uh, quickly. And I think these two things are uh, sort of the, the the Israeli goals and the the tendency to put pressure on Israel to wrap things up are in as stark uh, contradiction right now as I've ever seen because um, you have Israel and the prime minister saying explicitly that this is going to take uh, a long time, but you, on the other hand, um, you know, the time is gonna, the, the clock is already in some ways ticking. I heard uh, uh, a discussion on one of the major news networks yesterday where the announcer was talking about Israel's provocation that led to this and uh, the guy said, so it was this provocation, was it last week? Was it last month? Was it five years ago? Was it 50 years ago? Was it 75 years ago? So here you have, you know, already on the news, you know, sort of the Israel's very existence being a provocation that leads to Israeli uh, mm -hmm. civilians being uh, kidnapped and murdered uh, today. I mean, the, the whole the whole idea of it is is well, I mean, crazy, we, but it's it's part of the effort to you know to delegitimize Israel and to take away its right to defend itself, which has been the the the, the plan all along. This use of uh, this use of hostages uh, and uh, um, terrorizing civilian 
population through social media. I've never seen anything like it before. I mean, we've seen the beheading videos of ISIS and uh, uh, and things like that, or some of the videos that come out of some terrorist attacks, but I've never seen anything like uh, the 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 video of the little boy being taunted by other little boys by the families. You know, one in one one video, a, a family had their daughter shot in front of them, and then they were being held hostage in their in their in their home. Um, uh, and 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 uh, Hamas is uh, parading all of this on uh, social media proudly. Uh, we're going to see now they have uh, they have a hundred or more hostages, including Americans. We're going to see much more of this, um, and and it's going to uh, it's going to have an impact on um, on global public opinion, and not necessarily the impact that we might uh, that we might think. Um, no, let I, me. You know, this in, in some ways. I'm sorry, Mike. In, you know, in some ways, this this is a um... Uh, a stark reminder of uh, you know sort of the earlier days of the Palestinian National Movement when you saw you know PLO attacks in in schools and uh, apartment buildings and of course you remember Ma'alot in 1974 right and, and and things like that where you know Israelis you know sort of Palestinians have been um, the Palestinian movements have been um, you know murdering and kidnapping. Uh, Israeli civilians in the name of human rights for uh, for a very long time, and in, you know, and in many ways, uh, uh, and, the, and the and the tactic this. and the tactic works, and the tactic works. Let me highlight for you. Uh, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna step out of my role as moderator here, and I'm gonna interview myself about uh, um, uh, about the Iranian role uh, in, in all of this, and I because I think that Iran. Uh, I agree with uh, John Kasapalu's analysis at the beginning that that there's a guiding be hand behind all of this, and it is Iran, Iran. And I think Iran has already scored some very, very significant victories here, uh, just uh, on the basis of these opening days. Uh, and and I think they are poised to score more victories if we don't um, if we the United States don't uh, don't. Uh, uh, reassess our policy. So what victories have they scored? They uh, they have all but destroyed, I think, the Saudi-Israeli rapprochement, or they at least have, uh, uh, they have put it on hold. That was a real problem for them, the Saudi-Israeli normalization. Uh, they don't want to see, they don't want to see the Abraham Accords expanded. They don't want to see Israel having um, uh, normal relations with the Gulf states, uh, and they certainly don't want to see it having uh, uh, increased military cooperation with the uh, um, with the Gulf states. And they and they drove a wedge into that uh, into that process. They um, they have changed the balance inside uh, Palestinian politics between Hamas and Fatah. Which Fatah led by Abu Mazen, who is, for actuarial reasons, uh, near uh, near retirement, and uh, there's a political vacuum um, around him, and Hamas wants to fill that vacuum and become the dominant player in the PLO and in Palestinian politics in in general. Uh, this is helping, and this will help Hamas, uh, the, and this will help uh, uh, Iran. Uh, as I mentioned, Iran wants to destroy. The, uh, the the Abraham Accords and it wants to undermine undermine the American alliance system and raise up the militant Palestinian voice within the Palestinian uh, uh, within the Palestinian arena uh, and it has succeeded in, in in all of that and as this war goes on in Gaza and there has to be I, I don't see how there is not a ground incursion into Gaza of some significant extent whether, whether it's going to be all the way a complete occupation, um, or 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 just a you know occupation of the north of the strip, and 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 then and then incursions in uh, southward from there, I don't know. Uh, uh, but the, but I can't see, given the nature of the the threat and the nature of the provocation, I can't see that any Israeli government can avoid getting involved on the ground in um, uh, in in. in and that is going to further inflame relations between Israel and 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 just about every um, Arab and uh, and Islamic country. I think the only country that has really come out unequivocally supportive of Israel has been Morocco, 
uh, and we're going to, uh, you know, if, 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 if we're concerned that American support for Israel is going to flag over time, uh, we, we can rest assured that the, that the feeling in the Islamic world is going to, uh, is going to become uh, embittered. And, and we can see there's a very sophisticated social media and media um, propaganda network working to make sure that that, uh, uh, that, that happens. Uh, my final point here is about um, American strategy. American strategy has uh, inadvertently um, uh, created or uh, inadvertently rewarded this kind of activity by, uh, by Iran by releasing money to Iran, by turning Iran into a, a into a legitimate interlocutor about uh, about, about um, uh, the regional balance, uh, by doing nothing to uh, to impede the development of the conventional um, disruptive military capabilities that uh, the, that that Iran has. Uh, all of this has just given Iran encouragement to uh, play this play this role of regional uh, regional disruptor. The uh, clear desire of the Biden administration to raise the Palestinian question back up and make it a top issue on the uh, on the agenda has encouraged uh, uh, has encouraged uh, uh, Hamas to uh, to carry out acts of violence because it knows. That when when there is when when there is um, uh, uh, unrest, the United States will step in and chip away at uh, and 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 chip away at Israel. So we really we really need an American policy that understands the role that Iran is playing as the coordinator of all of the uh, the coordinator, facilitator, and and um, strengthener. I don't know if that's the right word. Of um, uh, um, of all of the elements that are trying to undermine the American order um, uh, in in the region, I, I think that this will help Israel uh, get the international backing it needs in order to do whatever it decides it needs to do in Gaza. But it will also it's also very important in terms of preventing the scenario that John Kasapalu mentioned of widening the conflict to Lebanese Hezbollah or to any of the other Iranian proxies. If Iran understands that things that it holds dear are in danger from the United States, or from, and the United States will either do it itself or strengthen elements in the region, including Israel, who can, uh, um, who can, um, uh, who can um, hold at risk things that Iran holds dear, uh, if that if that happens, then we have a much better chance of containing this to Gaza and giving the Israelis the time and the um, and the resources that they need to um, to come out of this victorious. I think it's very important for the United States that Israel be victorious. And again, I'm not going to define victory. It's going to be up to President uh, President Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, and his government to de to define what uh, what 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 victory is. But it's very important to, to the United States that they be seen to be victorious, because if this if this operation, if this if this if this kind of uh, terrorist outrages are seen to deliver to Hamas and to Iran victories, then then we are just inviting more and more of the same. And it's going to be sooner or later, it's going to end up involving American forces directly. Uh, so that was a big uh, soliloquy. John Kasapalu, you got any reaction to that? Uh, two things, actually. Uh, the right verb defining the action after such a catastrophe uh, would be of utmost importance. Uh, responding to that, yeah, it is important. Uh, for the United States, assisting uh, the Israeli uh, military capabilities uh, to protect and to respond. Yes, from also uh, Washington's standpoint, that's important. Uh, but the most important verb of action here is understanding. I think like the, the first thing that would calm uh, that would calm allies of United States and those in the Middle East who attach their national securities to United States is that President Biden goes before the cameras and he says like, we completely understood the network and the mechanism and all the systematics behind this attack. Because the problem is, I'm sure there will be a, a search of military assistance to Israel right now. And I'm sure as Jonathan said, there will be more uh, if you say space, freedom of space uh, for allowing Israel what, what it uh, needs to do to respond. 
but still the missing part, I think, is I doubt uh, President Biden's policy team have developed a complete understanding of what happened because this thing we are talking about right now is, a, is merely a symptom, a manifestation of the changing balance of power and changing strategic calculus in the Middle East. And unless- Sorry, just to, just to inter- make sure, I wanna make sure that uh, I understand you correctly um, because I have, uh, uh, I, I just gave a soliloquy on uh, Iran. I'm gonna give you- Are you with me on this? And when you say changing st- strategic calculus in the Middle East, you mean in Tehran and in the Middle East in general? Or are you talking more specifically about Gaza, Hamas, uh, Israel? So back in back in 2019, uh, Aramco came under attack in Saudi Arabia, and it it was again like f- from an economic point of view, it it was a catastrophe uh, in the region. Uh, talking about the attack, we defense analysts we focused on the the projectiles, the loitering munitions used in the attack, the missiles, cruise missiles, ballistic missiles, drones. What did they use and the, the flight path and the, the launch origin of that, like whether it came from Yemen or it came from Iraq or somewhere else. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, a, a Meshet-based cleric, uh, very close to Khamenei, uh, Ahmed uh, Al-Malhoda, uh, during his Friday sermon, he said the people are, referring to military analysts like me, people are discussing if the attack came from Yemen or if the attack came from Iraq. He said like regardless of it came from Yemen, regardless of it came from Iraq, or elsewhere, it came from Iran because he said he, Iran, like, and these are the Iranian words, by the way. And did that right. this comes deep from the regime. He says, like, Lebanese Hezbollah is Iran, Islamic Jihad is Iran, Hamas is Iran, popular mobilization forces is Iran. And this, again, this is not a, a calculation or a conclusion by the Hudson Institute. This is not my own words. I'm just verbatim uh, re- referring to an Iranian cleric. I think that, that Friday sermon. And that, that was a geopolitical manifestation. This is a political military statement. And this political military statement, since the Obama times, brick after brick, has become the, the reality of the region in the Middle East. I think without understanding it and using the word, uh, highlighting the word, understanding it. Okay? Understanding it, it and holding Tehran responsible. Without making a diagnosis, everything you do is either a cortisone shot or painkiller. Yeah. No right. systemic cure. So, uh, Jonathan, you can uh, take us home now. Your final words, uh, uh, I'm sure you agree with me. We should be holding, we, the United States, our policy should be holding Iran responsible for this and behaving accordingly. You agree? Yeah. I, I do agree. And I think even without John's, I think, very precise and very accurate analysis from the beginning of this conversation, you know, you're, there is no Hamas and there is no uh, Islamic Jihad and, and they don't have any rocket or missile threat or any offensive military threat without Iran. Right. Iran is, you know, funds, trains, uh, uh, supports. Uh, uh, we know this. Um, I, I would just say a, 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 a couple of things. I want to say one thing about um the Saudi rapprochement that you mentioned, uh, and the Abraham Accords. Uh, as you know, I'm, uh, I tend to be more skeptical about uh, that outcome uh, going into this, but now I'll say something that's sort of its opposite. And I think um, it could be that this is, uh, that this drives a huge wedge and makes it much less likely. Um, but I think that also depends on the outcome. And yeah. I think, uh, as you said, I think if there is, um, you know, sort of uh, uh, a clear victory for Israel and the United States and a clear defeat for Iran and its proxies, I think that could change the calculation, not just of Saudi Arabia, but of other countries in the region uh, as well. I completely agree with you about um, the Palestinian politics and the jockeying for position for, uh, as they say, the day after uh, Abu Mazen. there's one other Iran piece that I think is worth mentioning uh, as we as we wrap up. Uh, I don't know if uh, the Lebanese Hezbollah is um, going to get involved or not get involved. I think you can make um, convincing arguments in both directions. Um, and even today's, uh, uh, I think John mentioned there was a drone incursion and there was also a report of some mortar fire on uh, the northern border. And the question is, is this 
is this sort of testing the Israelis' response, or is this going through the motions to to sort of show solidarity without actually getting involved? And I don't know the answer uh, to that question. What I do know is that when Israelis talk about the possibility of Israeli military action against the nuclear program uh, in Iran, one of the things that they are concerned about, uh, and they have to be concerned about, is whether or not such an action would be, part of the response would be um, large-scale attacks from Hezbollah in the north and from Hamas and Islamic Jihad in the south. And um, as as discussion increases over the last uh, couple of years about advances in the in the uh, Iranian nuclear program and the possibility of Israeli action, um, is this uh, a signal that um, this is something that Israel needs to take into consideration? That is, is this an act that's intended to deter Israel from uh, taking action in Iran? Uh, can I can I jump in there, please? Uh, because my my I, I want to give my answer to that, and it, which is yes, one hundred percent. And I, when I listed, when I listed the some of the benefits that have already come to Iran, this is one of them. This this the the United States needs to understand that this action is in part uh, an effort by Iran to protect its nuclear program from an from an Israeli attack. And I would say so far. A, a successful one, and the, now if 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 Israel can take can actually take Hamas off the table, and I don't know that it can, uh, or it can reduce its capabilities so severely that uh, that we're going to see nothing but quiet for the next fifteen years between uh, between Israel and Gaza. Well, then 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 Iran will have failed, uh, but it's going to do everything it can. So far, it is it it's it's dealt a very severe blow to Israel, and. Um, uh, and, and it's going to do everything it can as this conflict uh, expands into uh, into Gaza uh, to uh, to deter Israel from any further activities against the uh, against Iran. And I think then the last point that I would make is that I think the deterrence is one question, but distraction is the other. That is distraction and deterrence is is right now the time when, you know, when Israel and the United States and everyone is focused on what's going on inside Israel and inside Gaza, is this a time when Iran um, makes some dramatic step, uh, uh, you know, and presents some sort of a nuclear fait accompli or something like that? I don't know the answer, but uh, it's certainly something that I don't uh, think we can rule out. That's a great, that's a great point. And it, it just brings back me back to, brings me back to my main uh, concern which is uh, which is the framework in which the U.S. has been approaching Iran under the Biden administration. So the resurrection of the Obama policy, which is to seek you know understandings with Iran um, and uh, uh, and to, uh, to uh, release uh, release frozen assets in the in the process to do absolutely nothing to try to curtail the development of Iran's disruptive military capacities. And to do really nothing to 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 prevent Iran from getting a, um, a a nuclear weapon, all of this is having the effect, in general, of giving Iran a playground to play in without any uh, with, with, without any retribution, and and also simply to strengthen it in general. Uh, and if we don't, um, if we continue to say, oh, the problem here is between the the Palestinians and the Israelis, and we have to have a peace process and negotiate between them, and we we and we take all of the uh, attention away from what's happening um, uh, in the Persian Gulf, then we will we will be losing the Middle East eventually. Uh, this will be terrible for Israel, but it'll be terrible for the United States as um, uh, as well. Okay, Mike, Mike, if I may, yes, for... you get the, you can have and, unless Jonathan says uh, he has, wants to say something, you actually do get the last word, and I won't make any more soliloquies. No, I think like just to capitalize on what Jonathan said, and then you have uh, rightfully pointed out is like there are two two different incidents all revolve around the same thing: the Lebanese Hezbollah involvement and the Iranian nuclear program. It all boils down to my dark world or military affairs. We have a term uh, borrowed from physics: the center of gravity. Had we shooted this this uh, upload uh, with the same team, and I I asked Jonathan let's say one week ago, two weeks ago, what is the number one national security priority 
of the state of Israel one week ago. And what is the, what is the first briefing that, first intelligence briefing that the Israeli prime minister is getting on the morning in terms of regional, the regional security? Probably the Iranian nuclear program and the prospects of Iran going nuclear would be right before the breakfast and the coffee of the Israeli prime minister. Now right. it is Hamas. And this yeah. is, this is, you know, this is the opportunity because in economy terms, to, to borrow it from another field, uh, this is the having, having an intelligence briefing between breakfast and coffee about Hamas and the Hamas military capabilities is your opportunity cost for, for not having that, that, that intelligence briefing about the Iranian nuclear program. That's one thing. Uh, and the second thing, the, the, and it distracts the center of gravity of your intelligence uh, paradigm, intelligence calculus. The same goes for Lebanese Hezbollah. By Lebanese Hezbollah, militarily and only militarily speaking, we do not necessarily mean Lebanese Hezbollah combat formations, you know, pouring into the Israeli border and, and dragging the Israeli brigades into, into an uh, open-ended fight. Only a military buildup and sporadic rocket and drone launches would tie down a large proportion of the Israeli defense forces in the northern frontier and that would have an indirect effect in the fourth generation, uh, in the fourth generation calculations uh, for uh, in in the uh, in the south in Gaza Strip or in Gaza Strip campaign. So the the thing is the Lebanese Hezbollah involvement here. Uh, I think its its major aim could be distracting the center of gravity of the Israeli defense forces, and they can do that without even firing one single bullet, just by a build up and just by political mil military signaling. Okay, uh, with that, we'll bring this uh, to a close. Uh, th uh, thank you, gentlemen, for what's been a very uh, uh, a very informative uh, session about a very, very grim uh, set of events. Um, needless to say, our hearts go out uh, to uh, all of the Israelis who've lost friends and loved ones, um, and uh, to all of the Israelis who's going to see their loved ones uh, go into battle. Um, and we wish them we w wish them all the best and Godspeed. <laughs>